happy new year and welcome back to the Glean podcast. We missed y'all all last week. Hope y'all missed us. But uh, we're going to kick the new year off. Um, I know everybody's getting back into the swing of work and kids going back to school. Things are trying to get back to uh, a little bit of normalcy. But uh, we do appreciate each and every one of you that tune in every week and then help us to spread the gospel. But, um, you know, we were talking before the, the podcast started and, you know, uh, sometimes I think when we, we do Christian podcasts, um, uh, there's a lot out there that want to do, you know, the just topical things as far as faith and healing and uh you know salvation and all that and and they're all good we we should teach those but i believe in this past year and this year i believe god's really directed us to to look into current events what's going on in the world and you know parallel those things with the word of god and um you know because not everybody that's going to be strolling through uh you know, YouTube or Facebook or Twitter or whatever, or X, excuse me, or going through podcasts, uh, they're not all going to jump on, on something that's talking about faith or healing or salvation or praise and worship or whatever it may be. But when they see a topic on a dealing with current geographics, uh, teacher of any sorts, um, you know, to try to explain, you know, go into these details about earthquakes and things. But one thing I do know is um, if, if if you understand the Bible, the Bible says in the last days that there'd be earthquakes in diverse places. Uh, we just had a, a massive earthquake hit Japan right around Christmas time. I think it was a 7.9 something, uh, very uh, strong earthquake. Then there was one in uh, California. Also, you can see that uh, if, if you watch any news or follow anything, you can see uh, how the coast of California, I think Pismo Beach or something like that, they've just been getting hammered and inundated with these massive waves and storm surge. Uh, there was also reports of a, a small earthquake over in the D.C. area. Uh, Washington, D.C., and, and in that area. But um, when you begin to see all of these things, um, you have to stop and realize, you know, that we're, you know, while, while we look at earthquakes in the natural, if you was in school or you've ever watched National Geographic graphics or anything, you understand that fault lines are, are two plates uh, land plates, one sitting on top of the other, and as the one that's lower begins to move and push into the one on top, that it begins to shake and vibrate the earth. And I believe that as we see these things happening in the earth, you can also look over the past few years about um, how we've had, I believe, what what many ministers and myself as well have talked about as being a shaking, the great shaking of the church. I believe since the pandemic, moving from pandemic forward to now, that we've seen a great shaking in the church. We've seen, 
you know, a lot of churches that, that closed down and have never reopened. We've seen uh, a lot of denominations making, you know, bold moves and things like that. But I believe what God is allowing to happen, you know, spiritually is that everything that can be shaken, the Bible says those things that can be shaken will. And you know as good as I do that if something is not fastened correctly, if it's not secure, that when that great shaking happens, it will fall and it will bust or crumble. It'll be destroyed. So I believe just like those things happen in the natural, I believe that those things are happening also um, in the spiritual realm. Uh, that, you know, through these tests and trials, through the, the attack of the enemy, we've, we've seen, you know, the enemy take one of the, I believe, I know in my lifetime, uh, probably the largest onslaught attack from demonic forces, entities, enemies, whatever you want to call them, demons. We've, we're seeing right now the largest on-scale, all-at-once attack uh, on nations and people and Christians uh, the Jewish people that we've ever seen, you know, like I say, in my lifetime. But as these things happen, you know, I believe God is allowing these shakings to happen so that, that the things that were hindering, the things that were hurting the body of Christ will be shaken loose so that that true church, the ones that truly love God, are going to just dig in deeper, you know, like the old saying, just dig your heels in and you're not letting up, you know, we're not losing any ground. I believe we're going to be able to see those things as we, we begin to move into 2024. Um, I said the other night in, uh, or the other morning, one of the morning or night service, but I believe God spoke this to me and revealed this to me, but we're in 2024. We're going to see some of the craziest, most bizarre things uh, that I think we've ever seen in the history of our nation. Uh, maybe even, you know, uh, since modern civilization has, has begun to record things. Um, I believe, you know, that there's going to be uh, cyber attacks. I believe we're going to see, uh, you know, stock market crashes. I believe we're going to see uh, uh, like social uh, upheavals, uh, civil wars possibly. We're going to see a lot of these things. I believe that people and and institutions that we we thought were right, that we trusted, people that we we would almost bet our own lives on that they were legitimate, that they were uh, leading us in the right direction. I believe we're going to see these these people exposed. Um, you know, one of the things that's happening right now. There's a lot of talk going on. You know about the Jeffrey Epstein list. And everybody knows about Epstein's flight logs, and you know that Bill Clinton and uh, a lot of these celebrities and congressmen and senators, all of these people have been recorded flying on that plane going to Epstein's Island to molest and have sex with children. Uh, these people need to be held accountable, and I believe that there's people that that are on that list that it's going to really shock us. Some of us, it, it may, you know... Uh, it emotionally affect us a little bit. I was on X today and 
somebody posted, you know, uh, we need to pray for those that uh, flew on Epstein's Island. And I said, no, we don't need to pray for them. We need to pray for those children that were sexually abused and traumatized by these pedophiles. You know, uh, God can deal with them pedophiles. You know, we need to pray for those children and those families that those children were taken from and abducted. You know, we need to be praying for those. Uh, but you see a lot of these things happening, and I believe that this is all because things are being shaken loose and they're being busted open so that the world can see that, like the Bible says, that there's a, a, a heaven to gain, there's a hell to shun. So I believe that these things are happening. And we got an article, Josh had sent me this, uh, it's from Christian Post, uh, and if any of you don't know, it's, it's a magazine, but they have an online, but it's christianpost.com. They have some phenomenal articles dealing with, uh, you know, the political realm, uh, national things, uh, all kinds of different uh, news articles that we're, we're seeing going on, but they give the Christian perspective of it. You know, so if any of you want a good read, uh, to follow some things. And a lot of times we get a lot of our, our topics and posts from the Christian post, but like I say, it's christianpost.com. But, um, there were nine different topics that this writer, uh, brung out. And Josh is going to put a link to this, uh, with this video. Uh, so you can actually go on and read it. We're not going to read it verbatim, but we're going to hit some of the high spots. But there's nine different topics that I believe that you and I as believers, we need to look at as far as where we go to church, what are we seeing happen in the church? Is our church growing? Is our church doing what the Bible says? Is it a biblically based church or are we, you know, going to a church that's more seeker friendly and just wanting to draw the masses, you know, and I've said this before and, you know, our church is growing and, and I, I love it. Uh, and I may get to share a little bit more later on, but I've had three different people this week that has messaged me or called me and let me know that what we're teaching here, when the enemy has come against their body they have done what we have told them to do according to Scripture, and that almost instantly they have received the healing power, the healing touch of God in their life, and they've been made well. And that's that's what a church should be doing, reaching the lost, reaching those that are broken, downtrodden, hurt, sick. You know, uh, the Bible says, Jesus said, these signs shall follow them that believe. They shall cast out devils. They shall lay hands on the sick. You know, he went through this whole list of what we as disciples should do. And if you're saved, if Jesus lives inside of you, whether you like it or not, that is your job. You are a disciple to go and make disciples. So those signs should be following you. And sometimes I question a lot of churches. And here again, I'm not trying to throw off on churches, but I want you as a viewer to be aware. You know, some of you, 
You may say, well, I go to this church because my mom and daddy went to this church and my grandma and granddaddy went. My great grandpa helped lay the brick and my great uncle paid for the stained glass and Aunt Gertrude paid for the pews, you know, and it's just a family church. Well, that's well and good and it sounds sounds great. But bottom line is, is your church doing what Jesus commanded us to do when he left? You know, that's the kind of church you need to be in. And I'm not on here. I know you, some people, well, we don't want to be uh, sheep thieves and steal other, other sheep from other pastures. But I'm, I'm a strong believer in, you know, uh, animal rescue. You know, you ever watch the, what is it, ASACPA or whatever that is, where they go in and when you find animals that are malnourished, beaten, mistreated, broken, hurting, they're in an environment that's unhealthy and unsafe for them, so they go in and rescue them. I believe we're living in a time where I don't care if you know somebody that's going to a church that's dead that's or dying, that's teaching things that are unbiblical, that are not teaching sound doctrine. If you know that person and you love them, or if it's you watching online right now, get out of that church. Find you a church that is preaching the unadulterated, unfiltered, unopinionated word of God. You have to preach, thus saith the Lord. If you're not preaching the Bible, then whatever you're preaching is false doctrine. You know, some of you may have heard some ministers say before, well, what I'm preaching is, is not found in the Bible. God give me this, but no, he didn't. We The, the scripture says that even if an angel would uh, tell you that we have a more sure word, and that is the written word of God. So as we go through these things, I want you to begin to look at these things. And I believe that these are things that you, you may know some churches, you may know people that are struggling with this, but I believe you can see some of this in different areas of the body of Christ. And these are the things that I believe that God is beginning to remove from his church, from the bride of Christ, so that the, when he comes back, he said he's coming back for a church without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. No fluff. He's not coming back for a church full of junk, full of hypocrisy, full of false teaching, false doctrine, you know, hypocritical uh, lifestyles. He's not coming back for that. He's coming back for a, a church without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. And like I've said many a times, we're, he's not coming back for a church that's hidden in the back choir loft or the corner of the choir loft where they put their choir robes. We're all hiding there uh, to escape persecution, and he's going to bust the doors in and rescue us because we've been beaten and battered. No, we're going to be on the front lines taking ground back from the enemy when Jesus calls us home because we're going to be what he's called us to be and walk in the anointing and the authority that he's called us to walk in. Amen. So we're going to start with these. Josh is going to read them, and we're going to discuss them. But one of the things I would like for you guys to do, if at all possible, is while we're, you're, you're watching this and, and listening to this, if, if you know of something that you've seen in a church or uh, in, in society as a whole that kind of goes along with this, you know, 
put it in the comments. Y'all, y'all, we want to make this show. We're all in this together, you know, and, and we can talk back and forth. And if you have questions about some of the things we may be sharing tonight, throw that in the comments and let us know, you know, and we'll do our best to, to answer it, uh, to the best of our ability with the help of the Holy spirit. But, uh, we're going to go ahead and get into this and, uh, Josh, you go ahead and take us off with the first one. Yeah, so going in this, again, going back to the article of the, the Christian Post, and uh, again, we want to preface this, the, the author, Thomas S. Rayner. Uh, and so if you if you go through the article real quick, Wes, it's one of the, the quick things that he reminds us is this is their interpretation of what they've recorded over the years and that they're right. seeing going on within churches. And I thought it was very you know, important for us to have that discussion tonight in, in regards to this is all around. If we'll just open up to our eyes and we'll listen and we'll hear from other people that are from other congregations and other churches and other uh, belief systems within the Christian um, community. But uh, the, the first one that they hit on, and there's no particular order in these, but we're going to we're gonna hit them based off what the article says, is they talk about church denial and how that's played a big por- portion of that. So, Wes, go through a couple things that you see as far as what the church has denied um, and within the past, if we look in the context within the past five years, not along with 20 years of what's happened in church denial, but in, 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 in retrospect to what's happened within the past five years. Yeah, I think we have seen, you know, we and we've done a few podcasts, but, you know, even over the past 20 years, I don't know, maybe even before that, the Catholic Church has always, always been in in some kind of limelight. Uh, for some reason, the Catholic priests have a problem refraining themselves around little boys, and I, you know, uh, it's sad because there's a lot of devout and sweet, loving Catholic people that love love the Lord. They're faithful to their church. The problem is not necessarily with them; it's with the priests. They're they're putting in these pulpits, you know, that's been going on and you're seeing it even more exposed. Now used to, it was always in a local church, a local Catholic, uh, church, but now you're beginning to see all the, all the light point back towards the head, which is the, you know, the, the, the Pope himself, um, and the Vatican, uh, you know, me personally, I believe that, uh, this is just me. It may be proven. It may not. Uh, but, you know, I believe when the dust settles with everything that we see going on now politically and economically and all this, that the turmoil that's going on in the world, I believe that you'll you'll begin to see if it, if it gets exposed that the Vatican and the Pope are taking direct orders from Satan himself, you know, and I believe that, that that's just my my option or observation, my opinion, uh, and from things I've read, researched, and watched, and seen. You know, again, there's some Catholic people that uh, the majority of them fantastic people, loving people. You know, I, I'm friends with several people that are Catholics. I'm not not knocking them, but um, you know, you can also look. We done a podcast recently on the the United Methodist Church. You know, they're going completely under because Methodist people, the congregation, 
is walking away going, we will not stand for homosexuality. We are not going to condemn Franklin Graham. Just, but if me loving somebody, according to the world's definition of love, is what the, the definition I think majority of preachers and churches go by, not God's love, you know, if we if we go by that one, then we have to begin to redefine and reword the scripture because according to scripture, we have to stand against sin. The Bible says resist the devil. It didn't say walk up and hug him. Um, you know, I went to a uh, a funeral. I think it was at the first of this year, uh, may have, or uh, not this year. Uh, this is the first year, first of last year. Um, I went to a, uh, that is the Catholic church here close to us. The, uh, I don't know, St. Mary mother, uh, you know, they got all them enunciated, enunciated comma.com, whatever exclamation part church. But as I was walking in, the, the priest was there and I shook his hand and, and smiled and said, Hey, how you doing? And he said, good. He said, all are welcome here. And I said, that's good to know. Thank you. And he patted me on the back, which was a little creepy. But um, he said, you know, he said, if de the devil himself would come in, God would welcome him. And you see, it's that kind of idiotic philosophy and belief that's going to lead people straight to the gates of hell because nobody, the Bible, Satan has done been adjudicated. He done been judged. His sentence is waiting to be Oh, you know, held. He, he's already, he knows what his terms are. You know, uh, he's just waiting on his lease on this earth to run out. But it's that kind of teaching and that kind of philosophy, thinking, mindset, whatever you want to call it, that I believe uh, puts us into that, like, that number one is denial. You know, and we have a lot of preachers that, you know, another big realm that I have seen attacked is tithing, you know. Yeah. And I'm telling you right now, <laughs> I know people that make money hand over fist, but they always struggle. They're constantly struggling, can't keep their bills paid. It's always something breaking, always something tearing up, always every time they get money, every time I turn around, it just costs me money. I can't never save money. Well, one is you're not a tither, you know, and I, well, you just want my money. I don't, you keep your $2 and 50 cents. I, I don't need your money. God supplies my need. You know, this church doesn't supply my need. Yes, they pay me a salary and they pay me well, but they don't supply my need. God is my source, you know, and when I tithe, the Bible says he will rebuke the devourer for my sake. And you may be watching online and you may be going, you know what? I, I, I make good money. My, you know, uh, uh, me and my wife, we, we make good money, but we, we can't never save money. We don't have money. It, we, we can't afford nothing. It, we, you know, do you tithe? I mean, that's the first question I want to ask people. But see, a lot of churches are in denial because they won't teach it because it has been taught wrong. It has been made to look bad. And, you know, uh, that's another thing that has been taught wrong. And I believe, you know, like it was talking about here in the denial, a lot of churches are, you know, kind of like those three monkeys, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. 
uh, you know, and they want to get in this little corner in, in glory land and just leave us alone and let us do our thing. But there's a world, a hurting world out there that needs to know that Jesus loves them, you know, and, you know, so I believe that, uh, you know, prosperity or tithing has been hit very hard. Healing has been hit very hard. Um, you know, a lot of these miracles. miracles, you know, a lot of these things have been hit very hard. And, you know, when you watch news, just like the other week, I talked about how um, you need, you know, every time you watch the news that you hear, you know, when they get to talking about uh, our former president and what he's, the things he's trying to expose or do, you hear the news media, mainstream news, lamestream news or whatever you want to call them, you hear the news and say, trust the science, trust the science, trust the science. Everybody that somebody that's got a microphone and is a dignitary or on the news, they're going to say, trust the science. Well, I'm not trusting the science. I'm going to trust the word of God. And according to the word of God, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. So your science and your little uh, telescopes or whatever, uh, whatever y'all got microscopes and your little Petri dishes, y'all can come up with it, whatever you want to. I don't care. I trust the word of God. I, I stand on Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, you know, 1 Peter 2, 24, Matthew 8, 17. So you can take your science and go stick it because I'm not worried about science. I'm worried about what God's word says. You know, and I think a big thing about denial with healing is these preachers are scared that they're going to look bad. You know, what what if I pray for somebody and they don't get healed, then I look bad. No, you don't. You're just doing what God's Word says. It's up to that person to receive that healing, not for you to force it on them. They have to receive. I like what one preacher said. They asked him, well, what if you pray for somebody and they don't get healed? Next. You know, we have to do what the word of God says, and we cannot be in denial. We cannot be in denial of what's going on in our societies all the way up from a national level, all the way down to our uh, communities that you and I live in. Satan is on the warpath. We're seeing pushes for, you know, all of these gender and transgender and homosexuality. We've got uh, Palestinian protest on American soil when we're trying to celebrate our own holidays. We've got all of these things happening. They're tearing down statues of people. You know, all of these things are happening. We've got a president right now that says that our our national debt is going down when in reality it just went over $34 trillion. You know, inflation's coming down when prices are higher than they've ever been before. You know, all of these things are going on, and, you know, I know of several preachers that I follow and, and know personally some of them that they're speaking the truth. But where in the world, and you might even could say this because this is really what's going on, where in the hell are all the preachers that need to be standing up for the truth? But most of them don't want to. Well, we'll get shut down. We'll get canceled. We'll get this. We might lose people. I would rather have 10 people 
in this body that was on fire for God, full of the Holy Ghost, devil-stomping, tongue-talking, fire-filled believers, that I would to have this church packed out with a bunch of weak, wimpy, spineless people that call themselves followers of Jesus when they're not. You know, so I believe that this coming year, you're going to, people are going to come to a precipice. They're going to come to a place where there's no longer going to be denial. They're going to have to acknowledge right from wrong. They're going to have to acknowledge good and evil. There's got to be a separation. There's no more gray area. We're going to begin to see what is black and what is white in the body of Christ. You've got to know if your church did not rejoice and celebrate when Roe versus Wade uh, was overturned, <coughs> I would pack my stuff and leave and never come go back. If your church has not spoken out against transgenderism, I'd get out of it right now. If your church has not come out against homosexuality, I'd get out of it right now. If your church has not spoken from the pulpit, your pastor has not spoken from the pulpit how a, a believer should vote, then I'd get out of that church right now. Why? Because they're not worried about your soul. And when you find a church that begins to preach the things that I just talked about, homosexuality, transgenderism, all of these things that would get up from a pulpit and tell you how you need to vote as a believer, that's a church that is a pastor especially that is concerned about your soul and not about his own well-being and how good his church looks in the community. So I believe that these things were going to even, you know, I believe they're going to come to a head this year, Josh. Yeah, amen. <coughs> uh, next, so next question is just we're talking in, in general to the church and how the complexity and the busyness of a church has unraveled itself and where in some instances you have churches that maybe have a smaller attendance, but they've got nine committees and 15 programs and ministries and they're just doing way too much, but they're never reaching the community. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of us know churches like that. Um, you know, I know of a minister personally, uh, I, I won't call his name, uh, because he, he's a phenomenal minister, uh, power of God's all over him. He's, he's the gift of prophecy operates in his life. And at one time he had a very, very, very large church in the Charlotte area. Uh, some of you will know who I'm talking about. Uh, he would come here and preach and, uh, do a phenomenal job, but he had stuff going on seven days a week. He would have done stuff eight days a week if it was possible. And, he would reprimand people if they did, excuse me, if they didn't show up, you know, and, uh, there was just constantly something going on, you know, and I'm all about doing, uh, activities and offering programs and, and having events at the church so that we can become a community. I believe the church needs to be a community, a family, but at the same time, I believe that you need to have balance with these things. I thank God Jesus himself didn't minister 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He, he broke bread with his disciples. You know, I was just reading an article and studying. One of the, the houses where Jesus went to the most was about two miles outside of Jerusalem. 
outside of the city. It was in a little small wooded area on the countryside. And they said that after he would minister, he would go there and spend time with his disciples and with Mary and Martha and some of those. Why? Because that was his family. And sometimes I believe with church, you can have... You can have so much going on that you almost wear people out of the fact that, you know, I, and that's, I've kind of been one of those, I, unless God tells me to do it, I'm not going to do it. I don't care how good it is. I don't care how awesome it would be to reach the community. I'm not going to do it unless after prayer, God has said, yes, this is what I want this church to do. Why? Well, number one, it's his church. I can't just go and do what I want because it's not my church to go and do what I want with. And some pastors, I think that's part of the problem. Sometimes I think people want to do a lot of outreach because it is good. But, you know, we, Josh and I, you know, we were talking earlier of another minister, and I used to love to watch his TV program. It was a 30-minute short but uh, he would have different ministers on him for about 15 minutes. Man, I'm telling you what, they'd preach the roof off a house. They'd have you jumping, shouting, hollering. You'd go to uh, fight the gates of hell with a wet dish rag. They'd just pump you up. But the last 15 minutes, all they'd done was spent talking about money. You know, and I'm not, there's nothing wrong with the church asking for financial help uh, for projects and things like that. But when you constantly, constantly, constantly have to ask the people to give money, then I question the thing that you're doing, albeit it's a good thing. It's helping people. Did God tell you to do it? Because last time I checked, this is his church. This is his work. So it's his responsibility to fund it. You know, I don't do I don't do stuff around my house or, you know, do different things and then look at somebody else and say, You gonna pay for that? No, it's my responsibility. You know, it's as simple as if I if I ask somebody to go out to eat, if I ask you to go out to eat, that was my invitation. That means I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to pay the bill. You know, and I think a lot of times churches do that. They get so uh, wrapped up in, you know, because from the outside looking in, if you see a church that's got 19 programs going on, uh, and they've got something every night that looks good. But what people don't realize is those 19 programs, there's about 15 people that do all 19 programs that have to teach it, have to turn the lights on, have to set up equipment, have to make sure the stuff's ready. The lessons are prepared. So you, you overtax those valuable people that you have. And for what? Because then they face burnout and then they get frustrated and leave, and then these programs that these people were coming to and get ministered to are left with nothing. You know, so I think sometimes those things can, uh, you know, I think people get too busy. Like that one saying, said, you can be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. You know, and I also believe that Jesus uh, he don't want us at church every day. And I know some of y'all may stroke out when you hear me say that statement. You may spit your drink out, you know, or choke on something you was eating. But God does not want us in the church building every day. God wants us with our families. You need time just to sit at home with your family, be with your family. I mean, if you can't be close with your own family, you know, 
and spend time. How are you going to teach your children? You know, it's, it's if your children are constantly growing up and where's mama at? Where's daddy at? Well, they at the church. We're dropping y'all off at the babysitters. We're going to church. Those kids will grow up resenting the church. And I've seen it happen, you know. So I believe these things have to be, uh, you know, balanced. There's balance in everything, you know. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of churches, you know, you got like that, that statement he said under the complexity in business or busyness was you got nine committees with 40 people. You don't, you don't need nine committees. And, you know, I think that's one of the big things in certain denominations is they've got committees for everything. Yeah. They can't get nothing done. I mean, you did. I remember when, uh, one of the times we put new carpet in here at the church and I went to, to order the carpet and the, the, the person ordered the carpet from, they said, well, uh, wow, y'all's church com- uh, carpet committee sure did pick that carpet out quick. I said, what committee? They said, well, y'all don't have a carpet committee? Our church, we have a carpet committee. A carpet committee. I said, no, I picked out what I liked. I, I showed two or three women because they got uh, good decorating and interior decorating skills, and we talked about colors. They said they liked it, so I said I come and ordered it. You know, then you hear about when a pastor, well, we've got to have a, a, a pulpit committee. You know, I know some of these things are necessary, but my thing is what qualifies a sheep to pick out a shepherd? <laughs> I mean, I did, you know, it, a lot of these things that we see are unnecessary. They're man-made, and it causes burnout. It causes strife. It causes division. And I believe it, and also confusion of, and we get so busy with these committees and meetings and all these things that that we're we're failing to see the true purpose of what God has called us to be. Yep. You know. Next. Yeah. <laughs> so next on it is, you know, churches looking for the perfect pastor, as though, you know, one man is to do it all. You know, mm-hmm. it's just one of those things where people think that if if, I, if we find the perfect pastor, then everything's just going to smooth itself out. And unfortunately, that pastor has to deal with all the other people that's inside there. Yeah. Uh, well, I hate to let everybody know, but uh, the perfect pastor has already been found, and you're watching him live right now on Glean Podcast. No, no, I'm just kidding. Um the thing about, you know, I, I've I, I've had people ask me before, uh, you know, they said, "What what uh, seminary did you go to?" And I said, "I didn't go to seminary." How how did you get a position as uh, the lead pastor of a church if you've never been to seminary? What qualifies you to to minister? I said, "Jesus did. He's the one that called me." You know, I said, uh, "Seminary didn't call me." And, uh, you know, I'm, I, I'm not knocking seminary if, if, you know, there's a preacher that's watching online that I don't want you to get your little feelings hurt because I, I said something bad about seminary. But I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of seminaries I'd question. I'd question them in a heartbeat. Uh, you know, Josh, it was like we was talking before. Uh, Josh was showing me a clip of a, a, another podcast Uh where these these two guys were really exposing the fact, and they've talked to people in churches, there's pastors, I believe it's more the celebrity pastor, the mega church pastor, don't know which ones, I'm not calling names, 
but uh, they have they have sermon writers. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you heard that right, people. Sermon writers. Yeah, I, I mean, I just they've got a group of people that sit down and write their sermon for them because they're too ignorant of the call that supposedly is on their life to get on their face before the one who supposedly called them to ask him, what do you want me to tell your people? You know, I mean, sermon writers. Yeah. And and didn't you say something about Josh? They had teleprompters. Yeah. Teleprompters that were verbatim what they would say. And also would probably <laughs> insinuate, uh, what, uh, emotion would be put into that message. So, you're not getting a Holy Spirit-filled message. You're getting something that some other person was inspired by God to write a message for that pastor, and that's what they're well, preaching. Yeah, and again, look, I'm not... Yet You should prepare. Preparation time is never wasted time. But, you know, I look back from when I first started preaching, you know, 20 years ago, uh maybe a little bit before that. I was in my early 20s. Uh, wow, yeah. Anyway, had a flashback there. Um, I took a lot of notes, and and I would listen to certain preachers preach, and I'd be like, man, boy, I wish I could preach like them. Oh, boy, if I could, you know, and I might even try to preach their sermon. And, boy, I'd get to that part where they started shouting and hollering and I'd try to do it like, yeah, and it go over like a lead balloon. I mean, people just look at you like, just stare at you like a cow at a new gate, deer in the headlight. But I would, you know, when I would even pray and seek God and I would get my own messages, you know, and I would get up there on the podium and I'd have three or four pages of notes and scriptures and all these things. You know, and, and I would try to preach all of it, which that never works because your four pages of notes is going to take more than, uh, you know, 45 minutes to an hour to preach. You know, and then I, I, I would get frustrated. I, I, I remember several times where I would be asked to preach and I would start studying, you know, on Monday uh, about what to preach and what direction God wanted me to go and there would be times where he would give me a thought and I would build on it. And, uh, you know, but come Saturday night, sometimes I already had my message and I'd just pray on Saturday night and then I'd get up and preach it Sunday morning. But I remember several times when I would get ready to preach, it would get close to Thursday, Friday, especially in the Saturday. God hadn't spoke not one word to me. He hadn't given me a thought. He hadn't said nothing <laughs> So I'm sweating bullets. I'm stressing myself. I'm like, oh, my God, Lord, what am I going to do? I got to come up with something. And one night I caught what I said. I've got to come up with something. And I remember I just I pulled back and I said, well, Holy Spirit, if you don't show up, uh, we're going to be in trouble in the morning because I ain't got a thing. And I didn't have anything that morning. And, you know, uh, <laughs> I ended up, you know, preaching what the Holy Ghost gave me. And it was at that point that I realized that if I just stay full of the word of God and full of the Holy Ghost, 
All I got to do, it takes all the pressure off of me. I just trust the Holy Spirit, and I just preach out of the overflow. Now, yeah, I do have a, a, a usually a sermon title, and I'll write down three or four points that I keep up with me, and I give scriptures to our uh, media personnel, you know, uh, so they can throw them up on the screen. But when I realize that if I just rely totally on the Holy Spirit, the leading of the Holy Spirit, I can do better preaching that way because it's not me preaching, it's him. And it takes that work off of me. You know, um, this is one of those things, too, where I'm not knocking it, but, you know, I, I hear, and I know some people are going to say, well, yeah, but you ain't been a, a senior pastor or a lead pastor for that long. But I've been in the ministry for a long time, you know, Um these this whole thing of uh picking out the perfect one you know like you say like that you got to have he's got to have a certain amount of kids uh he's, he can't he has to be married he can't be single uh he can't be divorced uh he he can't be and you know these are all standards that people are picking out you know what happens if if that man went through a divorce but it, it wasn't really any fault of his own even if it was a fault of his own, what if he truly repented and God changed him? Because the fact that the call is on his life, God says that he, he'll never repent for what he's called somebody to do. <laughs> so the call's still there. Who are we to say that if he's repented and been restored, he can't preach again? He can't pastor again. You know, why does he have to have kids? What if, what if he's single and hadn't had kids? You know, they want him to be a certain age. You know, now I do understand the Bible says not to put a novice in the office of a prophet. You know, I, I, I understand that, but I still believe that there's situations and and circumstances, you know, that I, I don't look at the age. I, I You know, there's ministers that younger than me that I listen to all the time, and, and I they encourage me. I love listening to them, uh, and I don't look at it and say, well, you're younger than me. What do you know? They know a lot. You know, so I don't look at age. I look at relationship and how they live their lives outside the church. To me, that determines how the best thing is their relationship with God and how they treat people. Uh, that determines a good pastor to me. Yeah. You know, and I don't want a pastor, and, and Josh knows this, it's, it's, and it's a lot of you that are what I'm, I don't like to micromanage. My job is to lead the church in the direction God's called me to. My job is to keep my face before his throne, my ear to his heartbeat, so that I can hear his leading and guiding to navigate this body of believers through this next coming year. Where does God want us to go? I don't have time to do everything else. So that's why we have other people in other positions and let them go. They may not do it exactly like I want it every time, but they're growing and they're nurturing their gift, just like I, I get to nurture mine as senior pastor. When I took this position, I didn't. I don't know everything. I'm still learning. I believe my dad would tell you after pastoring for 47, 48 years, he was still learning things. You know, I don't think we ever stop learning. I believe if you ever stop learning, then you're done. But, you know, I believe that you, you uh, we need to quit looking at the qualifications of things like 
you know, uh, it's just like some people think a preacher should wear a suit and tie every week. Not happening, homie. I am not wearing a suit and tie every week. I've got suits and I've got ties, and I look sharp in my suits and ties, but I'm not wearing them things every week. The anointing is not in the clothes. It's in the man. So if it's in the man, I don't care what he's got on. When that anointing begins to flow, it's going to come out. So, you know, uh, I believe you need to find, if, if you're watching online and, and you say, you know what, I, I need to find uh, a, a, a pastor that, that speaks to me. You need to find a pastor. It's like a pastor friend of mine said, that makes your baby jump. And you say, what do you mean? It means every time you're around that pastor and he speaks into your life, that you feel encouraged, that you feel strengthened, you know, and I, I try to uh, make people feel uh, like they're the most important person in the room because at that moment, if I'm talking to you, you truly are the most important person at that moment because that's who I'm spending my time with. But, you know, find a pastor that, 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 makes you want to be a better person, that makes you want to get into the Word, and that makes you believe in yourself so that when you begin to learn the Word of God, you believe that you yourself have the ability to cast out devils, to lay hands on the sick, to restore sight for, for the blind, you know, to open deaf ears, all of these things. Find you a pastor that makes your baby jump, that gets you excited about the things of God. Don't look at all the, what denomination are they from, how many times they've been married, and how many kids have they got, and all these different things. You know, I know a good pastor friend of mine that a lot of people wouldn't like. Why? Well, he's got tattoos from one end of his arms all the way. I mean, he's full sleeves on both his arms. He's got tattoos on his back, on his legs. And there's some churches he goes into, he has to wear long sleeves. You know, and well, yeah, but the Bible says you ain't supposed to mark yourself. Well, I'm leaving that between him and God. But I do believe if it was this massive grave sin, because this boy can preach. I mean, he preached the wheels off a bus. Uh, I believe that anointing would have left him, you know, but I'm leaving that between him and God. But, you know, if you went and he's been divorced. So if, if you uh, go by these qualifications that a lot of churches have, he would be disqualified. You know, so, yeah, I wouldn't, you know, take your mind out of cookie cutter when you look for preachers, especially in the, these last days. I believe you're going to have more John the Baptist style preachers uh, than you are anything. And they don't, you know, John the Baptist, he broke the mold. He didn't fit any mold. Yep. Hey, listen, we're running up on eight o'clock right here. Wes, you want to keep going? We got still, uh, we're at four right now. We still got the... The remaining five, I think, to get through. I'm but, good if you're good. Yeah, let's keep rolling. As All long right. as y'all want to stay with us, we'll keep rolling. Yeah, stay with us, crowd. Um, hey, so going into the next topic is talking about the evangelistic ign ignorance that's going on in some churches. And they really put out a key statistic in here. Only 5% of churches have any type of true evangelism initiative in their church and to reach uh, people in their communities for, with the gospel. And so they look at it from this standpoint is that no longer uh, growth of our churches or biological growth or transfer growth 
Evangelism means reaching people with a conversion growth, means in that we're changing, we're, we're having that conversation of leading them to the Lord, leading them into our church, and then leading them um, to be a part of our fellowship. Yeah, and this one, you know, it, it's really, uh, it, you don't have to spend a whole lot of time on this one. I mean, it's, uh, that's something where I believe with the ev ev evangelistic, uh, you know, type uh, outreaches that you do, um, first and foremost, you know, we have, we, we support international ministries. Uh, you know, we, we support, uh, you know, James Jacob, Jesus for India. James Jacob missionary that we've known for pretty much the most part of my life. I've known that man, uh, dad's been over there and a few other people have seen actually been on the ground with him. Um, you know, I believe we should have the, the international style outreach, but also we need every church needs to be able to do something that reaches your local community. Um, you know, and that's where, like with us, I'm, you know, as we're growing, excuse me again, I want to be able to build, you know, a, a group of believers that's, you know, willing to go out and not necessarily knock on doors, but, you know, go into Walmart parking lots and food line and places like that and, and be able to evangelize. Uh, but, you know, to do that, you have to really have a, a discipleship class because, uh, People need to know how, you know, I think some people struggle with how do I tell people about Jesus? How do I share my testimony? Um, and we as the church have to offer some some options where we can teach people uh, that's coming into the church. how This is how you need to share your testimony. This is how you go about it. I'm not saying you write it down exactly for them where they can read it off a card, but you give them some key points where they build their own testimony around that so that at the end of it, Jesus is glorified. But one of my big things, I heard a preacher say this years ago, a few years ago, and it really, I don't know, it shook me on the inside and, and I, I've never been able to shake it. But he said that if your church was gone tomorrow, would your community even realize it was gone? You know, so I believe that, you know, uh, every church uh, needs to make sure that you're doing missions work that's not just outside, uh, you know, internationally, but also locally in your own community to win the lost in your own community, to be there for them uh, because they're the ones that's going to help build your church. Uh, when you help change their lives, they'll help change the life of your church. So, you know, I believe you need a good balance in it. Yep. But you can't have the mentality that as long as I do a Sunday service in a, a midweek or something like that, that's all I need to do. You know, I'm just going to preach and God will send them. Now, God sent us out. He didn't send us in. You know, once we get saved, we we come in the church to get refilled and be sent back out. Disciples were sent to the lost. So we have to be able to come into the church, be filled then when we go into our workplace, go into Food Line, Walmart, wherever we're going, just being in public in our community, we have to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what wins the lost. Amen. Hey, moving along, uh, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time. I don't think this is a high topic, but it's just talking about staffing and how churches staff in this current 
day and time that we live in. Uh, and they indicated in, in the article that the uh, churches are still trying to hire like it's 2004, which is over 20 years ago, if you, if you think about it. And uh, they really talk about bivocational and co-vocational type staffing um, that happened back in that era. But now that things have changed in this day and time, and a lot of stuff now can be done in person and can be done virtually in some instances. Yeah, I mean, that's one of, you know, uh, 20 years ago, we would have never thought we would have had, had to have had a what we call a media team. You know, and, you know, that's something where, I mean, you know, you you do a lot of work in our media. Josh covers a, a lot of our media stuff, but he don't have to be in the building to get it all done. He does a lot of work while he's at home, you know, uh, on his laptop. You know, um, there's, you know, with the Internet and things like that, you know, uh, our church, with our size, we are. And what we do, we, we don't have to have an on-staff secretary that's down here five days a week. Yeah. Why? Because people's not coming down here through the week, uh, you know, for anything. So, you know, uh, we have, you know, uh, our secretary that does our books and things. She, she usually work on a Monday. And then I've even, you know, look, if, if some of this stuff you can do from home, do it from home. Why? Because it's not about the body. It's about are you getting the work done. We just, there's certain things we need done, but, um, I believe it's about knowing your congregation, knowing your goals and expanding, you know, your horizons on, on what's possible for your church to do. And then hiring the people that you need to get it done. And you say, well, yeah, but what if I can't afford it? You got to believe God for it. You got to believe God if this is what he wants, then he's going to supply that need. He's going to bring the funds in to take care of it. And don't be cheap. Don't pay your people cheap. You know, pay them a good living salary so that they can give their whole heart to it and not have to have half of it somewhere else because they're worried about how they're going to pay their bills or they got to go work a second job. Yep. You know, if, you, if you're going to hire them, you pay them and you pay them well. All right, moving along, we will talk next about doctrinal deviation. Um, and then, Wes, I'll let you just hit on this because this, I mean, we could spend really a whole podcast talking about doctrinal deviation. Yeah. But churches need to identify what their doctrine is, they need to make it very clear and poignant to their congregation and to their members. And in order for a lot of stuff that we talked about tonight, that really sets the baseline for where they at they are at um, in their church and the things that they believe and they're going to work within. Because I think that says a lot to the church is, is how you're operating, what what you believe, those things that you were you're going to utilize in your congregation. Um, you know, where we follow a lot of stuff that's Pentecostal but not traditional Pentecostal type stuff, yeah. and where. Uh, we have the, the doctrine of the, 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 um, of the Trinity. We believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Those are sound biblical doctrines. And I think one of the things that's really set our church, not knocking anybody else's churches, is we just strictly stay with what the Bible says. Yeah. And that's been our fundamental thing that's kept us this long. Uh, everything else is left to interpretation. And I think having a strong biblical foundation for doctrinal purposes, helps for church growth. 
Yeah, I mean, it, one of the biggest ones where I believe doctrinally has I've seen the most deviation and it has done the most destruction. See, I'm going with the D's there. I, I got on a roll there. I'll impress y'all every once in a while. Is 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 the biblical definition or the biblical doctrine of the true meaning or what is the true meaning of the God kind of love? Because I believe that that's where some of the biggest damage has been done because for the sake of love, we have turned a blind eye. It's almost like the number one, the first issue we talked about, the denial. We we know these churches that know that people that's on their platforms and in their, their leadership and in their that are constantly and blatantly living in sin, but because they're scared they're going to lose somebody, I, well, can't correct them, can't call them out on that. They might leave. Well, they may have to leave. But I believe that the true love of God, I mean, if you talk about how Jesus walked in love, I mean, if we're going to look at Jesus' love, he fashioned whips and drove people out of the church, the temple, flipped over some tables. Well, that don't sound like love. Well, that was Jesus, and Jesus is love. Why? Because God is love. So, you know, and, and we hear all these people talking, well, we just need to hug it out and love. We just love, love, love. We Sometimes love is a stern rebuke. I mean, you know, I, I've corrected my children. You know, uh, didn't want to. It hurt. I didn't want to uh, to correct my children or spank them or punish them for something they'd done wrong. But because I loved them and I wanted them to grow up and to understand that there's consequences for doing wrong and rewards for doing right, you have to discipline them, you know. So I believe that's probably one of the biggest ones. Another big one is the tithing. I've even seen, uh, well, it was Creflo Dollar. Uh, he wrote probably one of the most fantastic books on tithing years ago, and now he's come out against it, <laughs> you know, Tithing is has been uh, deviated from, and and you know the prosperity message has been manipulated and hijacked. Um, you know different things like that, and then people get into arguments over the Trinity, the Godhead, three and one. You know, uh, you know it. What does the Bible say? I mean, to me, it's that simple. If it's in the Bible, don't try to redefine it. Study it from the perspective of the Bible and the view of the Bible, which actually means you might have to read more than one translation or more than one verse of the Bible to see the full picture of what God is trying to speak to you there. You know, but that's just me. I Preach what the Word says. Don't try to let somebody else take you. You know, and I say this all the time. Don't take it from me. Go study what I've said and prove it out in the Word. So once you know it, they can't nobody change your mind. Yep. So, you know, I, I believe we're, and I believe this is something we're going to see in this year is more people going to churches, finding churches that are preaching exactly what the word of God says. You know, I believe that's what's coming. Yep. Amen. 
Uh, next topic, last we got three more to go. Thanks for everybody hanging in with us this evening. Uh, the, this one's pretty kind of this this I see this in some instances, not on every instances, but we're going to talk about ignoring toxicity within a church. And uh, the church toxicity is often denied or ignored that they put in here, and they're oftenly talking about universally um, attend attendance and or or um, or um, a person within church that have these uh, toxic uh, traits that come into a church. They're the kind of people that can run a pastor out of uh, out of a out of a building and also cause church breakups um, in and through a church. And so, um, not really something that's faced us, but I think we've seen stuff in the past that this has come in contact with our church. Um, and, uh, you know, instead, and again, this goes back, instead of making a stand and the church taking care of it, uh, they let it go by and then why not, why it winds up dividing them. Yeah, I mean, and again, this one's pretty short. My philosophy on dealing with uh, toxicity, another word you could say there is take toxicity out and you could call it cancer. Because what happens if cancer is not cut out of your body? It spreads till eventually it will kill the whole body. Uh, you know, I, I've known, uh, especially down in Florida when I was traveling a lot, uh, they have some lakes there that have some high levels of different chemicals in them and they have signs up that says hazardous do not swim toxic why because when you get into that water those toxic chemicals can do your body harm it's the same way with people in your life you know and as a pastor the pastor has to have the i believe the philosophy like i have which is killing that with a sledgehammer you know i'm not I'm not here. I'm I'm not here, and the pastor shouldn't be. We we. It's time that pastors quit running daycares. We're not here to change your diapers. We're not here to feed you a snack. You're an adult. I'm here to correct if you're in the wrong. I'm here to bring set the crooked straight, and I'm here to give you the meat of God's word so that you can continue to grow healthy. You know, not everybody that comes to the church is going to be coming to the church to grow the church and to benefit the church. The enemy will send people in to destroy a church. And as a pastor and as your leadership needs to have, uh, you know, a spirit of discernment to be able to see these things. And don't be afraid as a pastor or a leader, if you're in a position over people, to go to them to correct things, to make things right. And unless they just get up and walk away mad, do not leave that meeting until you found some common ground, you know, and, um, you know, don't be scared to correct people, especially pastors. We're, we're the shepherd. We are going to be held accountable for how our churches conduct themselves, how the people uh, grow and what goes on in the church. We will be held accountable for that. So, you know, as far as toxicity uh, you know, I'm one of them killing that with a sledgehammer. That's right. <laughs> you know, that's easy. Next one to refer to a lot of churches have maintenance issues and repair the facilities and the grounds and the equipment. Uh, uh, Wes, I like how you, you put this and, and, and this is God's house. And then we let it, we let it decay into crumble. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, 
in, in front of it. And, and this is really a place for us to come and to worship and set before him and, and to get into his, uh, into his spirit. But the, many churches are, uh, have deferred maintenance. And I, I know for years that we didn't really defer maintenance, but we just kind of pushed things a little bit back. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, a lot of us do to resources, right? Yeah. Needing resources to do these things. But I think one thing that I, I've saw on this, and I can speak a little bit on this, is that churches have to set aside and take the time to do that. There's a lot that you can do through sweat equity. There's a lot that you can do with having physical cash on hand to, to pay somebody to come in and do these types of things. But uh, churches need to be taken care of. Uh, uh, and ultimately, we're looking at you know the resources that are given through tithes and through offerings are to help to benefit that building uh, and keep some of that maintenance up. And so this is just one of the things that they indicated in on the article. Yeah. Well, and I believe, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, Jesus said, you, you, you live in your, your mansions. You, you got your, your nice houses while my house lays in ruin, you know, and I, I believe this is one of those things where I believe you walk into church and tell whether you've got tithers and, and givers in the church, but by the way, the building looks a lot of times. Now, you know, I know a lot of churches that have bank accounts that are small churches, but have bank accounts with half a million dollars in them. But you walk in their sanctuary and it's the same carpet that was put in in 1960, you know, and everything is exactly the same. We can't change anything. Uh, you know, they don't, remodel they repair and you know one of the things that you'll notice is um and, and you know i had told told josh this earlier i talked to three different people this week from different walks of life from different denominations that talked about their church was dying or dead one of them was they this person said to my faith they won't change nothing. And here's the thing. That carpet that you liked in 1960, I'm telling you, 1960, it was probably the most beautiful carpet that they had out on the market. But let me give you a little hint. People in 2024 don't have the same taste or style. So, you know, when you want to attract people, I mean... If, if, if you watch it online, if when you go on vacation or if you travel, would you feel more comfortable with your children and your wife or your spouse with you to stay in a one-star motel or hotel or a five-star hotel? You know, I mean, it, it's one of those where I want to stay in a very nice hotel because it's clean. I'm comfortable with my children there. I know that the environment's safe, but yeah, I want to go to a church that I, we won't fix anything or do anything, you know, and, and bottom line is, uh, things need repair. Do you remodel? Has any of you ever remodeled your own home? You know, what does your house that you, you grew up in, does it still, or, or when you first got married, does it still look exactly like it did? And some of you say, well, yeah, maybe it does. But if you could change it, you would. Maybe you can't financially or just hadn't found anybody. But, you know, I believe that you always need to budget in with your finances with the church. Uh, you know, 
area, you, and you don't have to do the whole building at once. You can hit little areas at a time, do little things, and it don't have to be massive changes, just little small changes. You don't have to change the color of the paint, but just put some new paint on it, you know? Um, doing some different things like that, and, you know, uh, one of the, that church that, that a lady told me that things were just, you know, were dying real bad, and and I looked at her and I said, uh, well, what's your demographic of people? What's the demographic? She said, they're 60 and older. I said, yeah, and that's because y'all are still doing the same music you did when they were kids. She said, you're exactly right. You Things have to change to reach that next generation. There's nothing wrong with Beulah Lamb and there's nothing wrong with, you know, uh, Amazing Grace and I'll Fly Away. They're, they're great songs, but they're not relevant to this younger generation. And I've even found myself now as I'm getting older, the music that I was really loving when I was leading praise and worship here and was and pushing that, and that stuff's kind of fading out now. And there's a, a younger generation with a different style coming in now, and I'm having to be open to what... Now, the big thing is... Yeah, I like what Craig Craig said. You had the 1960s shag rug, you know. I I remember, it, some of y'all might remember the old shag rake. You'd get there and rake the carpet, you know. Anyway, but, you know, um, you got the things have to stay relevant. Your style of preaching, you cannot, you cannot vary from the Word of God. The Word of God stays the same. But the method or approach may be different because of who you're reaching now. The music, the same way. It has to have scripture. I won't let them do a song here at all, and I never did when I was leading worship. It has to have a biblical base. It has to have a scripture reference to that song, or we won't do it. But you have to do some more modern-style stuff, and it's the same way with the buildings, you know, Back in the 70s, we had some orangey-red, yeah, anyway, it was an orangey-red carpet. We had orange pews, uh, white walls with chandeliers that hung down that had gold on them. Hey, man, back then, that was, that was man, it was amazing. It was awesome, beautiful, absolutely beautiful. But it ain't in 2024 because styles has changed. So you, I think you have to do things and take care of your building, not only on the inside, but on the outside. Because when people come in, the first thing they're going to do is not judge how good the preaching was, how friendly people were, uh, how the, the climate of the building felt, where they offered waters or whatever. They're going to look at the outside exterior of the building. What kind of shape is it in? How does the grounds look? Then when they walk in, first thing, how does it look? How does it smell? You know, uh, different things like that because those first impressions matter when somebody new is walking in. So, I, yeah, I think you, you need to take care of God's house. Awesome. Moving along, last one, number nine here. Uh, churches in, in this day and time are lacking the priority of groups. And... Uh, this one hit Wes this afternoon a little bit because he, he didn't think about it, but then we started thinking about it, like, hey, we do do these things. And so having groups, these smaller independent groups with inside the church, and these groups are not uh, border decision-making groups. These are just groups that gather 
together. And one of the things is a weekly Bible study that we offer here at the church. I feel like that's really grown and helped the church. It's helped that age and that demographic. We got a young adults class. We got youth groups that are going on. Uh, we've got children church type stuff that's going on. And so these these little small independent groups with inside the churches, these are almost like uh, eco groups to the body of Christ, help give uh, a new priority. And they also give it a little bit of life because these are the next groups that are going to continue to grow and to be built within a church and to help help a church grow. And they say clearly that it, healthier churches tend to focus on these types of groups. Yeah, um, yeah, I was kind of looking more at the small group or life groups, which I'm not I'm not against life groups. Um, but I think you have to have the volunteer network uh, of people, you know, to do those kind of things. Um, I don't believe the pastor should be the head of the small group. I believe he should be able to, if you have small groups, be able to be fluid so he could visit different ones and set in and do different things. But. You know, when you look at groups, you know, it's very important that your church has departments for children. Uh, you know, sometimes that may be the only break a parent gets is just the 45 to an hour long sermon that you get, uh, you know, from their kids. But at the same time, they know that their kids are being taught the word of God and being taken care of. Um, you know, youth is very important. You know, um, we have a very active youth group here at our church. Uh, you know, your worship team is a group, but you establish these different teams and it, it, what it does is it allows people to expand their calling and their gifting that God has put on their life by being able to minister to other people and to other people's children and to the youth, you know, and I believe that these groups are important, especially the children's church and the youth group, because your children's church workers and youth workers are helping develop the next generation mindset and heart, um, you know, and I believe they're very important. So make sure that you have those, you know, uh, like we said, we have a, a Bible study on Tuesday mornings and the demographic, there's more of the, 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 the elderly or older people. Um, but I'm telling you what, I'm probably the youngest, one of the youngest ones there, and I have a blast with them. Uh, we have great food, and uh, we we get our, we feed our spirits as well. I mean, it's been several times the Holy Spirit while we're praying has just invaded uh, the fellowship hall over there with about 12, 15 of us in there. And, you know, we a lot of people know that we do that. So people from all over the community send us prayer requests for things they're going through. A lot of other churches send us their prayer requests because they know that that group gets results when it prays. You know, so, yeah, I believe that we have a young adults uh, group, you know, for those that are late teens in the early 20s up to 30. Uh, that's just really starting to get in the workforce but they talk about more relevant things that, that that age group is facing. They meet like once a month. You know, it's not something that has to be every week. Some of these groups are once a month, maybe once a quarter. But, you know, you try to give avenues for different people to be able to express and use their talent. And I do believe that that helps you as a pastor not only build a good volunteer group of people that want to do for the kingdom, but it helps bring in people in some areas where they might not would come to church, 
had it not been for that event or that group that you've offered. Amen. So that concludes everything that we've got tonight, Wes. I'll let you close us out tonight. And uh, we appreciate everybody sticking on with us. It's, it's good to have everybody still staying with us, even though we ran over a little bit this evening. Yeah. Uh, again, I just want to reiterate, thank you. You know, y'all stayed on an extra 22 minutes with us. But, um, you know, really help us this year if you can like it. Uh, hit that like button. If you if you don't hit the like, so you may I, I don't like it. We'll hit the unlike button. But do one or the other, one of the two. But also, if you really liked it, you know, help us by sharing this on your social media. Text it to a friend. Send it to somebody, and just say, hey man, if you've got some time, just take a listen to this. I believe it'll bless you. It'll help you understand some things. Because it's not just about growing our channel, but it's about every one of us doing as much as we can this year, 2024 of doing everything possible to reach everyone possible with the word of God, because the word of God brings life. It brings light and it brings revelation. And those things are what's going to propel us through this year and going to see an influx of new converts, not just people moving from one church to another church, but new converts, new people that were snatching out of the pit of hell, out of the grasp of the enemy, and placing them in the arms of a Savior that will give them eternal life. We need your help. We can't do it by ourselves. So you got a job to do, and now it's time to go do it. Guys, I love you each and every one from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for your support throughout this podcast this past year. But uh, we just look forward to continuing and growing, and we'll see you again next Wednesday night. God bless.